Thank you for listening to Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body. This is episode 57, Act 2, Miko Lee, Arts, Essence, Us, recorded August 17th, 2022. Screaming about a revocability Let's burn some bridges, earn some stitches And fight our own way free Cause the rules don't lie but they don't apply to people like you and me Let's start it up now 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 Now they say it's all decided, all divided, all laid out and the pushcart man with a three-part plan Can't understand what you're shouting about But when the past they plow The lives allowed are the only roads you can see Just remember the walls were built to fall For people like you and me Let's start it up now Let's start it up now Let's start it up now Let's start it up now, start it up now. Hey, hey, TA audience. Welcome to Teaching RSU Podcast. This podcast is researched, recorded, and produced on the unceded lands, water, and air stewarded by the Canarsie and Muncie Lenape peoples in what is colonially known as Brooklyn, New York. Thanks for listening, and thanks for being a part of our global community. Hey, hey, y'all. We have surpassed 30,000 listens. Thanks so much for choosing this indie podcast. We absolutely love and appreciate you. Help us get to 40,000 listens by inviting your peeps, colleagues, and friends to join our community and subscribe on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. We can also be heard on any podcast player. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and head over to teachingrsg.org to access episodes, guest bios, our video series, merch, and so much more. Recently, I was summoned to jury duty, and it's my first time actually serving on a jury. And y'all, I am so fascinated by trial protocols. There's so much education and information and continued clarity that is provided throughout the process for the jury. I really appreciate it. And as a juror, I am working on employing the best strategies for myself to deeply listen in order to understand the evidence and such. But part of my process, you know how some people need to doodle <laughs> when in order to listen? I think what, what I'm discovering about myself is I, um, I need to be like observing and reading the room constantly and observing the theater in the room. And I don't actually mean like the actual case. <laughs> I mean all the people, the various people in the room, the bailiff, the guards, the stenographer. Um, and there are a few other people in the room that I don't, I don't know what their role is, but I might, I might try to find out. Um, yeah. And I'm also noticing that while I'm, I'm least listening deeply, my skill sets in question asking get real challenged because lawyers can ask closed questions, leading questions, hypotheticals that 
lead to convoluted questions. Um, and I mean, I totally understand why they do that. Uh, but yeah, it is, it just goes against everything that I know about question asking in a learning space. And um, frankly, on this podcast. But anyway, I love learning. I really do. I like that this is helping me continue to learn more about myself um, and the judicial process in this particular context. And just like humans, human behavior. It's fascinating. I'm fascinated by everything. (laughs) Um, It reminds me a lot of like when I was little, actually, like I just realized like I have to read people like this is what I do in order to like fully understand like the like the specific thing that I'm needing to do in the space. I'm fascinated by everything. Um, It also reminded me, or I've been thinking, it's brought back to the forefront a conversation with uh, James Horton, uh, who's our previous guest, um, around, you know, supporting people prior to them getting involved in in the incarceration system. Um, and Miko touches upon this a little bit too. So let's, let's segue into, into Miko. Don't we love her? Yeah, we are. We're digging on her. Um, so in the conclusion of our conversation, we, we discuss transformative justice, being in right relationship with yourself and grappling with big uh, how to how to tackle big oppressive issues in a way that is clear for you in your circumstances and within your own sphere of influence. Here is episode 57, Act 2, Miko Lee, Arts, Essence, Us. I really like you, Miko. <laughs> I love the way you talk. I just, I just love it. Um, yeah, I really like you. I I mean, I'm sorry. I liked you before this, but now I'm like, oh, like I want to spend more time with you. Where do we go from here? What's our next, where do do we want to go? Like, I feel like you really shared so much. I really appreciate, um, that, you know, and, and what I'm, I'm, what you're continuing to say is like at the, at the heart of it, arts, arts is, is inherent to being human. It is inherent to how we can actually connect with each other, connect with our cultures, connect outside of our cultures, um, explore, engage, activate. This is what I'm getting. I was part of this, uh, group of folks that the Hewlett Foundation convened. There's five of us to really come up with, uh, the pillars of, um, the pillars of strong arts education programs with young people. Mm. And um, and it was actually incredibly fun. We're gonna be presenting it at Grantmakers for the Arts in Austin soon. But really what we were talking about is, you know, what do you see when you walk into a place and you know, you just know there's a juicy, great teaching artistry happening. Mm. And the big things that we all talked about, and this, I love that there was a young person that was part of this collective of us. Um, You know, it was such a good group of lovey-dovey people too. And really what we were saying is it's, you see that relationship that has been developed with the teaching artists and the students. You see the trust 
that is deep and profound that goes beyond. I mean, I happened to be at a concert with a teaching artist and in the middle of the concert, he's texting away at one of his students saying, this is the song that you're singing right now. And I just love that Austin Willisey, I adore him, you know, that he would just have that energy to still, even though we're in this concert, that's the kind of commitment a good teaching artist does. And the other qualities is about developing relationships with the caregivers of that kid. It's not just about that kid, but the supports that are around that person. I'm not saying it's kid, person, right? Because even with adult, there's people around that, um, around who help support and make that person uh, become their actualized self in the real world. And, but it, again, it goes back to that whole thing about relationships and trust and connections. So Courtney, buddy, what is on your mind these days? You're, you've been in the field for a while. You're I mean, especially post, not, we're not post pandemic, but in the time of now, mm-hmm. when we've been living through this really hard time, when some folks are finally, you know, recognizing, hey, it's not okay for everybody to be living the way we are. What's your thinking on how teaching artists are impacting the future? The idea of culture worker has been thrown around, creatives. Uh, I was using imagineers to sort of encompass like they can imagine and we can make um, in terms of that change. I, for a moment in time at TAG, I really wanted to change my title to dream facilitator. <laughs> Nobody went for it. What I love about artists, and, uh, and I use that like participatory teaching community artists, what I love about them is that they they um, can go into several, they work in different ways. They can work in different kinds of communities they are intentional about how they work in each of them, which means that they do work for several organizations or for themselves or some sort of combination of those. And they are able to do multiple things. Like they, they just have this, the word porous is in my head, but that's not what I'm trying to say. Like they have this ability to agitate and then connect. (laughs) Um, pollinate and then connect (laughs) you know what I mean like they just have this way and I think that I I wonder sometimes if that's why people who don't you know who either don't make a career as an artist or don't think of themselves as artists get sort of um either you know uh want to block them off or confused by them because they are disruptors and, and people like things that are safe and like a routine and I like that there's an order, there's an order and this is how it is. But earlier you, you referred to the fact that we, you know, the pandemic really highlighted the fact that we have been working and living in a broken system. It is absolutely broken that specifically few people benefit um, from. And, and, and I agree with you. I'm also one of those people um, who have privilege and um, navigate the system accordingly Uh, but where my brain is going to now is why why is it this is a larger question like why are we penalizing the most creative people who actually have the ability to create more equitable ways of operating more equitable and inclusive practices inside of 
a particular system like a school or a particular system like, uh, um, uh, you know, the incarcerated uh, prison system, um, by not being able to create an, a, avenues for affordable health care, a, f- a, f- a living wage, um, opportunities for future building um, and retirement. Like, why are we penalizing them for doing something, for doing the work that we need as a society? <laughs> There, I know why there is. I understand. Like, I'm not actually asking you to answer that question, but I'm, I'm saying like, that's the thing I want to, I want to either knock the system out and recenter artists so that we can be thinking about how do we support all, all because they are often marginalized. They also come from many communities unto themselves and have other identities that are also marginalized often. So if we were to, so that's, that's where my brain is and that's not the work that I'm doing, (laughs) um, currently in my full-time day job. Um, but I do think about that sometimes in a, in my microcosm of my job, right? So if I, if I can't do this because the system is saying, no, what can we do? How can we continue to support in this, you know, one segment of a teaching artist, uh, uh, work portfolio? But I, I'm, uh, yeah, so that's where, that's one thing. And then yesterday I was at a event with our, our DOE chancellor talking about the arts. And, um, while I thought the event went very well, I actually appreciated so much of what he said, you know, in the, in that kind of one, one hour event, you're not going to get the kind of detail that you (laughs) want, but some thoughts that were going through my brain, while I was sitting there and I've sat through those kinds of sessions in the past, I had just had a moment where I was like, you know, I just, do I, do I, what, are, what's next for me? Like, do I want to, do I want to work in government? Do I want to, what do I want to do? Like the, these were the thoughts that were going in my head because I was thinking like, what if I were that chancellor, would I say, would I do the same things? Maybe because that the system set up for me to be like that. Right. Or, so that was one brain that I was like, no, do I want to be a politician? Oh no. Like these, I'm not joking. Like this was literally going through my brain. And then, but I, then I was like, no, but I do want to influence policy. I do want to be in some sort of role that influences policy for better, for the better. So I don't know what that role is. I don't know what it is, but I I definitely feel like within our world, I still want to find ways to center artists in my work. Excuse me. I resonate with so many things that you said. I'm trying to think what's the one. Okay. The top of the head. The first thing is I think of being at the She the People conference and I'm sitting next to my lovely and talented Mariah Rankin Landers and and uh, and they were up there saying it was all women of color saying women got to run for office you have to run for office that's the way you change things and Mariah and I both looked at each other and pointed at each other like you run no I don't want to you run <laughs> so that's the first thing I'm thinking of was yes Courtney go for it I will back you if you run for office go <laughs> um 
That's one. And then the other thing I'm thinking of is you started off by talking about the terminology we give to teaching artists, mm. which I think every country we're learning has a different name for what that is. I, I learned a few years ago, this researcher from Ireland came um, and interviewed us. She was working on a big project, which I think is somewhere on the TAG website. But she said that they never use community artist in Ireland because community has a pejorative connotation in Ireland because it's how they block things up um, in Northern Ireland for the IRA. So, oh. whoa, yeah, did not know that. Um, and then some cultures, like I've done a lot of study in Bali and in Indonesia, there's not even a word for, not, not is there not a word for teaching artists, there's not a word for artist. Uh, because the belief system is that it is embedded in who you are mm -hmm. to sing, to dance, to sculpt, to create. It's just part of your, who you are. <laughs> so there's not a word for artist, which I think is a whole, I love that actually, mm -hmm. like, forget this. It's not about the naming. It is about who you doing in the yeah. beat, right? Yeah. So, um, and then I've been thinking about, I've been playing with using the terminology artivist and instigator these days um, because of that thing that you were mentioning about the age old question, do you work within the system or outside the system? And I, I had a brief time right after college where I was an intern for a congresswoman. Um, so that was my one in the system, but all the rest of my, my entire life, except in college, I've worked at nonprofits only mm -hmm. um, and have worked in the against the system idea. Uh, but it is a tricky one. And what I keep going back to is I've, I've been really working with amazing kind of leaders in transformative justice and restorative justice. And Mia Mingus, who's one of the amazing leaders, um, showcased this film that was about this tribe in Northern India that uh, is situated in between these rushing, rushing rivers. And the, the tribe is separated in different parts. And the way that they're able to get food and stay living is by building these living trees. And so they have taken these huge banyan trees and over thousands of years have woven the roots so that they go across these raging waters. And there's multiple layers of them. And it is about a grandparent teaching their grandchild. And it is about multiple generations of continuing to do this work. Mm -hmm. So there's something about that ethos that is really um, resonating with me these days that we can't be thinking that we are, I can't be thinking I'm gonna change everything right now. It has to be about generational change. How can we start to really for instance, defund the police. How do we do that when we're living in a prison state and a carceral system? You know, that's the system that we are in. At the same time, can we look at community solutions to violence? And we're doing that because one of the organizations that's part of my network is Stop AAPI Hate. Mm. And so we're kind of looking at national ways that we can have conversations around community wellness and um that are non-carceral based solutions because we know our, com our communities for reals 
many of our communities, undocumented folks, refugee folks, um, queer and trans folks, formerly incarcerated folks, they're not calling the cops anyway, because the cops have never been about supporting our people, right? The way the whole police system was set up has not been about supporting BIPOC folks, um, and particularly, you know, marginalized folks, folks with disabilities. So there have been systems that we have created. You know, it's like the um, it's like the the people that were working in, in the news in the media that when they started working in the media, a lot of women were handed this list saying, "Don't go in the office with this guy. Don't work with this person." People, we have found ways of um, trying to work around the system that exists no no we actually no this <laughs> if i may i just watched like uh you know smarter in seconds on instagram i mean she's got she's got a real name and i don't know it off the top of my head but there are these these really clever videos by this woman who's a social justice transformative justice kind of uh, person and she's like scholar all sorts of things and she does these like one like like 30 second videos about anti-racism and anti-oppression and I literally before <laughs> remember when I was like oh, I needed to relax for a little bit this is what I was doing I was on Instagram and what I saw were a couple of hers but the one that that refers to this about who are we oppressing because because we are not actually dealing with the uh, the real issue which is white pat patriarchal violent rage <laughs> and and uh, misogyny so it was talking about dress code in schools and how it's a 25 page document about dress code and 24 of those pages actually refer to everything that has to do with female identifying bodies and and ultimately it's because we can't have the we, ha we can't have the girls like already it's just the binary so we're already like putting you know everybody in a binary regardless of how they identify and it's all in ser specifically in service that we cannot have um, distraction for the boys. Now, what? Why are we not talking about why? Why is it okay for boys to be aggressive towards women, and why is it the women's responsibility to do everything that they can so that we don't uh, attract attention? what that is our entire society another thing that i, w I watch on it from a different person uh was the history of um yeah feminism and, and suffragette so not uh, we can go down the racist lane, lane but the but the idea was that the more uh autonomy i guess the more rights a woman would get the more masculine they would be and so there was this whole movement and oh gosh I'm not remembering what they were called but they but basically like street assaults they were called something specific that these men would would intentionally like aggressively in the like 1910s 1920s like atten intentionally like aggressively attack women um on the street and this was a, like a fairly new thing, but that has been completely pervasive over the, over since then. Right. And there was this whole, again, not addressing the problem, the actual problem that men felt threatened and therefore they were violently re like attacking women. But actually then there was like, let's teach you how to protect yourself on the street. 
what do you know yk hong is that a writer they uh according to their instagram they are anti-oppressive anti-oppression culture shifter um and they have a another like the the head of keep beyond and i believe they're korean yeah they do a lot of really great posts about anti-racism anti-oppression anti-asian violence you know um but you know what's interesting is I today just today I was like why why don't I see more of my friends feed like on my feed it's because I've just gone down this like deep well and wealth of information um, on Instagram like Instagram is pretty great I get a lot of great resources um, like from um, like art equity and 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 teaching our skilled and decenter the teacher just like. A lot of great stuff. Yeah, I did the BIPOC leadership circle with Art Equity. I've taken some sessions with them and I, I feel always like I've learned so much when I walk away from each of those sessions. But I do think that like that's one of the other things that I am, I'm not interested in necessarily doing that work, but I am interested in being more engaged in going to um conferences or you know learning opportunities like um there's also the abolitionist teaching network they do they have great resources and um patina love is is involved with them she's amazing one of the things that actually i heard in in our equity session fairly recently was you know there's a there's a lot there's so much that needs to be shifted, changed, and it's impossible for uh, everything to be done at once. So, what's what is the th- where are you gonna st- where are you gonna start? Is is was the sort of question, or where do you want to start? Um, and then focus on that. Uh, and I've had I've had conversations with other people who do similar work where they're like, it's this huge thing. You can't tackle all of it. And that's not necessarily your responsibility in the grand scheme of things. If, you know, if you're looking at it from a, from a business perspective or something like that, but what you can focus on is career equity. And inside that are many things, but you can start and just focus on, you know what I'm saying? Like there, so I feel like I've heard that idea. It's hard to, I find it challenging sometimes because it's like, but there's so many things and they're so interconnected. So if I'm only focused on one thing and this over thing over here is also broken, how, how, what, how, when? I, I hear that. And I think I'm muddling through it mm-hmm. by thinking about, you know, in transformative justice, the first step is to start with yourself so that you're right with yourself, so that you're taking care of your own healing, your own kind of, um, I think about that theater game, you know, the moment before often, you know, that game where you, you, know, you try and figure out what the, what the actor did right before they came oh, in. Thank you. Yes. And I, I think about that one so much because that's, I feel like what we're missing. We're not thinking about people the moment before. What happened to them right before they came in that meeting, right before they engaged in that horror, horrific act, right? Um, 
so I, I really think for me, the kind of step is that transformative justice, starting with yourself, making sure you're taking care of yourself, your family, your people around you, that you are in right relationship with yourself and those that are directly around you. And then from there, it's okay. And what is the work that I want to do? Um, and how do I tackle that? And, and then and it's like that, that ripple effect. How, how do those things grow from there? So how are, how are you doing that kind of work for yourself? Uh, therapy is one way. Of course, talk therapy is one way. Taking, I really realized during the pandemic is, uh, we were talking about earlier, I lived half of the pandemic in, on the big island. And I realized when I was there, how much I personally need to see water every day. I just, for my healing, my, my place in the world, I need to see water I lived in Minneapolis for a short time. Like, wait, what? <laughs> this is very strange. A lake? It doesn't do it. I went to the ocean. So I, even now back in California, I still, every day or every other day, walk down by the water. Walk so that I get that. So I need walk. I need journaling. I need therapy. I need um, art making. Um, and, you know, being in commune being in conversations with other people is on the outside of that but for me that kind of my re-energizing is through those kind of solitary things yeah I really appreciate I I don't think I've ever thought about the right relationship with self I haven't thought about it in that way you know so like I thought about it as self-care centering myself but like right relationship with myself I like I'm gonna adopt that. Thank you. What about uh, you? What do you yeah. do? Uh, so we're, yeah, I, I talk a lot about swimming. Swimming is definitely a very big thing, but I also have to like, just go with what I, where I, I want to go and start like judging when I'm not doing the swimming. So for example, I have not really swam laps, uh, the way I was swimming laps earlier in the year for the last couple of months, because the pool uh, in my building opened up outside and, my, uh, something that I had a revelation around the other day actually was it, especially during the pandemic, like the only way for me to leave my house was to go swimming. I wasn't going to work. I wasn't, you know, I was tied to this computer all day long. So in order for myself to start to, to center myself, swimming was the thing when the gyms reopened, I, I joined a gym and I would, and that and going to the gym was literally the only reason why I left my house year one or, or, you know, when, when they did. So I guess I was more like in the midst of, you know, wrapping up year one and then moving here, there's a pool downstairs. So like that experience made me start thinking like, what if the pool was in my building? Is that even a thing? Yeah. Okay, cool. Let's move there. Um, so now that I'm there, like, yeah, definitely like, okay, now I can really do it because I don't even have to leave the building. Ah, so here's a new thing. <laughs> I don't have to leave the building, but uh, now I have to think differently about like how, when am I li leaving the building? But also just when am I doing this thing that I know my body is always so happy. My brain is, is put into a new mind frame all sorts of things happen for me phys a lot, physiologically, mentally, spiritually when I'm doing the, doing that. This summer, I really felt the need to like be outside 
and be at the pool that is not a lap pool, but like spend time in community. What you said earlier, like getting to know people in my building, that's a great social place. And I can do that safely rather than going over to somebody's house or even being indoors with parties that are organized, um, for the, for the building. So, so for me, I am, you know, I live alone. I definitely need to be connected with people because, um, as I said, I live alone. So I, and, and I, I get, I draw energy from people. So that is actually really crucial to myself, to my own well being. Um, other things are saying no, saying yes to myself and no to, to things that don't necessarily feed that, you know, right relationship. I'm being intentional about when I'm saying no. So I'm not arbitrarily, arbitra- arbitrary about it, but, and I'm thought, and you know, I try to be graceful when I'm saying no, you know, um, but yeah, just being, and then the big thing that I'm hoping to be continue to grow in is, um, understanding the value of what I bring. Um, you know, I used to do talking events or whatnot for, you know, free or no low pay. And, um, you know, what you're getting with me is me not, you know, whatever it is that I'm planning plus 20 years of experience, y'all. That's something that somebody said to me recently. So I'm just gonna not claim that I'm saying that, but my friend Aaron Funk said that to me recently. And I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and absorb that. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. I had such, when I left the, my ED job and became a consultant, I was really like, what should I charge? And I was really freaked out about that. And, and then I didn't have to worry because people just came to me and I got a bunch of gigs and, and I have this, this support network of these other EDs, a lovely crowd that I meet with every couple of months. It was so great. And I was say, saying to them, I can't believe it. Suddenly I just got all this work. And and they said, of course you did. And it's not that you just got all that work. You've been working for 30 years to get that work. That work came because it is about the time you put in already. So I do feel like, yes, we need to grab and acknowledge that experience is a good thing and recognize the power that we're, we bring when we walk into the room. You were you sort of alluded to this earlier about also being like women of color and and oh, and like moving past the imposter syndrome and also you know understanding our worth like that's that that's really real. I'm rem- I'm reminded at one point like I said something to a boss at one point where they were asking me like pointed questions about the work and I was like it's gonna be great <laughs> after answering all the questions and I was like it's gonna be great like that. And they're like, uh, you know, just be a little humble. And I was like, what? Oh my God. Are you serious right now? What? No, no, no. I'm not taking that. What are you doing? What are you? What? <laughs> yeah, I think we've been programmed that way. To try and not take that claim you know and I I actually learned that from my daughters who are just right there you know (laughs) out there in the world saying I'm smart I'm beautiful I got it all you are lucky to have me (laughs) and so I think okay I gotta walk into the room with that same kind of confidence that I raised right I mean just let's let's go man let let it go and let's 
go. And I think the fact that you're seeing that kind of confidence and self-awareness from your children is, it, it says something about you as well. Like you said, I've, I've been working on instilling it, but how much of it is, is ingrained in me. Um, I think the other beautiful thing is, you know, society says that you should already have everything figured out. But as we know, nobody has anything figured out. <laughs> We're all just making this shit up as we go along, but we could do it with intention. We can be a little less, um, uh, yeah, I think we could grab things. I also, I feel like, um, aging is kind of a crazy thing. And one of the biggest thing is I feel like the older I get, the less I know. The less you realize, you know, that's what I think. I agree with you. The older we get, I think we, we, the more we realize we don't know. Yep. Right. It's not that you don't know a lot because you do, but there's so much. And there's so many variables and, and it just keeps growing like exponentially that you can't know. I I will tell you a little story. I, I think I've also said this on the here before, but like, when I, I remember being like six, seven or eight and having this realization, like I heard something about the world's population or something like that. I heard a big number and I had this moment where I was like, wait, there's that many people in the world now. And then there'll be more people and I will never know all those people. And I got incredibly sad because I was like, how, how is that possible that I could not know all the people in the world? Because, you know, my world at that point was tiny <laughs> and I knew a lot of people in my little tiny world. But when I heard that huge number, I was like, there's no way I can't know all these people. Could you imagine like, what, kind, why was, why would I think like, you know what I mean? Like that I, I would want to know all of me. That is the cutest thing in the world. What a kid extrovert you were. that You wanted to know all the people in the world. <laughs> yeah. That is so funny. I think, you know, that book, if the world were a village. No. Oh my God. I used to use it in teaching all the time. It's such a great book. And it basically count uses it counts all the people of the world, but puts it in a number, a hundred, a number so we understand. So it breaks it all down. It's actually such a good teaching tool because it breaks down how many people would speak this language, how many people would eat this kind of food, but breaks it in a number that's a hundred. So it's much more realistic and you can understand how many, what does that mean in the world? That's like one of my things is when people have said in the past, oh, you're short to me and I'm 5'1". I'd say, no, not according to the world population. I am normal sized, right? If you look at the population of the world. <laughs> so anyways, the world, uh, when you said that about knowing all the people, I thought if, look at that book, if the world were a village, because if it's a hundred people, I'm sure you already know more than a hundred people. <laughs> I do. I do know more. I also, I use, I remember, I, I have also talked about this, but like, I remember my dad took a European trip and he met people along the way. And by the time I re- like was more uh, aware and he would talk about that trip incessantly over the years, but he remained friends with each of those people through re- letter writing. 
all the way to 2005, we are taking a trip together to London. He loves London. He loved London and loved Shakespeare. And so he's so excited to like go to London with me. And we were on a high school trip, you know, so it was like organized. Anyway, he made arrangements again, not likely not through email, but maybe with somebody that he met in 1980. It was now 2005 to make sure that they met up while he was in London. Right. And, and I do that now. Like, that's exactly what I do. Like I'm going to go to, you know, Portland soon and I'm going to reach out to everybody in the Pacific Northwest. I'm not going to, sorry, I'm not going to come to you, but like maybe some, I might go see somebody in Seattle and I'm, I'm going to reach out and be like, I'm going to be here. Can we meet up? And like, I learned that from him, I think, and Facebook and other, you know, platforms support that idea of staying connected. So that, that little, you know, six, seven, eight year old who was like, I can't know everybody in the world, but how can I stay connected with those I, I have met has been a big thing. And in fact, actually I do recall my dad saying to me, cause I was, t- I was not great at staying in, in constant communication the way he would want me to be. And he's like, Courtney, we're family. There are so in this day and age, there are so many different ways to stay in touch. If I call you, you call me back. <laughs> I love that your dad is clear with the ground rules there. You know, like, and you stay in, you stay in touch and all the way to also my mom be like, are you ever going to call me? (laughs) Yes. I'm Yes. Yes, ma'am. I'm going to call you. Sorry. Well, if you come to Northern California, you have a place to stay with me. Anytime, anytime. I'm, I'm really, I don't know. The summer is kind of, it's already almost gone. I don't know what happened to it. I was really thinking I'd get out to New York, but suddenly the summer is gone. Well, the beautiful thing, the beautiful thing is that New York is always here. Yeah. So you, when you come, we need to hang out because we, I don't think we've ever met each other in person. No, I don't think in person we have. That's wild. I know. Yeah. Woof. So much knowledge that you dropped. Thank you so much for sharing with me. Oh, thanks for listening. What are you doing? What are you doing this fine evening in New York? Well, this this is what my my hot evening plans was hanging out with you. And then I'm going to go to bed cuz I I woke up really early. Um that's something else I'm trying to do is like not fight the tired and just go to bed. That's a new, that's are you a napper or no? Uh I like to take breaks, but I I'm not I'm not fully a napper uh, during the week. I might take a nap on a weekend because I just feel like if if the body wants more rest, she can have it. Yeah. Do you follow the nap ministry? Uh, love. Also, they scare me a little bit, but in a good way. Because you know they yell at they they yell at people on Twitter, which is actually where I love to see the messages most more than Instagram. But I do like that there's like slightly different personas on the different platforms. <laughs> so Miko, I want to say, I think, yeah, I think you're really remarkable. I want to, I want to know more about what you're doing. Like when you talk about transformative justice in my brain, I'm like, you need to learn everything about that. But I, it's not like the basis of my work, but I'm intrigued. I'm super intrigued. Um, I want to know, 
yeah, I want to, I want us to like really stay in touch for reals because I think that I have many things to learn from you and I just like your presence period. The end. Thank you. I appreciate you. I um, adore you too. And um, I look forward to hanging out. IRL. I-R-L. Let's do it. Let's definitely do it. Um, well, I'm going to, I'm going to close us up. And that was our last, uh, I think that's a, the last word. Or do you want to say anything? You know what? I actually do have a question. I do actually have a question. That is, we talked a little bit about your instill, like how you've instilled like confidence in your, in your kids, but I was just, and, oh, you know, I guess what I'm wondering is you talked about one of your, one of your kids is, is a filmmaker. I'm just curious about like how, how our arts sort of ingrained and how they operate on a day to day. Well, one's a filmmaker and one's a writer. So they are both self-identified artists. Um, and how they do it on a day-to-day, I, you know, they, they were raised, literally raised at either in theaters or arts organizations. So they were raised doing multiple, uh, learning how to do dances in all different cultural forms, learning how, you know, being in theater productions, playing instruments, uh, doing visual art, like they were in all the things as they were growing up. It's part of who they are. It's part of how they see themselves. Their joke is that uh, they didn't know any of the traditional, like fairy, the traditional European based fairy tales, or you know, like Goldilocks and Three Bears or any of those things, because I always like, here's the feminist heroes, here's the, here's the Virginia Hamilton, here's you, know, Toni Morrison. They didn't get the like, classic as a women's studies major also I uh, and I one more class and I would have been an African study African-American studies major too but I didn't want to do that one more class um so they they were raised with reading with being involved in multiple cultures and multiple art forms so that is how they express themselves that's how they kind of live through the world they make art all the time they're constantly uh, creating, and and I love that. And and we do, like we've had some really hard, um, oof, some really hard family experiences, and the way we process that was actually by um, as we were talking about it, we would do collage together. We'd actually make works of art as we were talking. So we use it as a learning, healing communicating modality mm. even now even as adults you know one's 22 and one's 26 27 yeah well i can't wait to talk more with you in other spaces i want you to have a great evening thank you thank you so much for reaching out i'm honored and um i look forward to Catching up again soon. Thank you for listening to episode 57, act two of Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body, Miko Lee, Arts, Essence, Us. Join us next time for a conversation with Alexander Santiago Girao. 
This podcast is edited and produced by Ben Weber. Christopher Totten is the director of creative content. Jonna Waldman wrote and performed the theme song. Tim Palin designed the logo. Visit us at www.teachingartistry.org and head to the pod shop at the top of the page for merch. Twitter us at TA underscore artistry. The gram at teaching artistry with CJB and now on YouTube. Check out the teaching artistry with Courtney J. Body channel and watch We Can't Go Back. Like our page on Facebook, listen to us on SoundCloud and Spotify, subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, and be sure to share this podcast with all the teaching artists in your life. Let's start it up now. Let's start it up now.